Hi. Thank you for saying hello back. My name is Sammy. I'm pastor here for this last Sunday. Uh, many of you have been asking me how I feel. Uh, I feel everything. I'm an empath. I don't know if you know that about me. I usually try to like be a little bit more robotic because I have to be because I literally feel every emotion always, my own and yours. Uh, so I compartmentalize. I put everything in little boxes and I open them when it is appropriate to feel those particular emotions. I've learned how to do this. Uh, but in times of high stress and high emotions, all those boxes break down and I feel it all. So I am trying not to cry, uh, but not shut down completely so that there is no emotion at all. So there you go. You are going to watch me dance this delicate dance. Uh, thank you in advance for your grace. Um, truly, though, I feel all of the emotions, and the primary one is gratitude. Uh, gratitude that you are all here today. Gratitude for all of the work that we have done together. Gratitude for all of the things that I've learned from all of you, all of the things that you have let me teach you. Um, gratitude for all of the worship leaders, uh, and Pam, who hasn't sung in forever, for showing up today. Um, just gratitude. So, gratitude to God and to you. Let us pray. Almighty God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, and Leah, send your Holy Spirit to move among us on this day. God, for this place, for all of the people that you have sent to be in this place and for the call that you have given us, we are so thankful. We pray, God, that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, that they would lead us closer to you, closer to one another, closer to the people you have created us to be. For you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Jerry B. Harvey is a professor of management science at George Washington University. He's a fairly well-known consultant. He's written a few books, and he has focused his entire career on teaching people effective management skills. His flagship theory is known as the Abilene Paradox, and it comes from a simple enough everyday experience. Some call it the Abilene Parable. It's a story that goes like this. One afternoon, Jerry and his wife invited his, parents, her, his wife's parents' friends over for an afternoon of dominoes and fellowship. It was the middle of summer, before air conditioning, in a hot Texas town called Coleman. They were all gathered on the back porch, shaded from the sun. There was a small breeze keeping them fairly comfortable, when suddenly, the father-in-law spoke up and said, hey, we should go to Abilene, which is 53 miles north, and have lunch at the cafe. And so Jerry's wife says, well, sure, why not? And Jerry thinks, well, a million reasons why not, but why rock the boat? And he says, well, sure, I just hope your mother wants to go. And sure enough, the mother-in-law speaks up and says, sure, I do. I have not been to Abilene in a long time. Let's go. And just like that, they're off. 53 miles in an old car through the hot Texas climate without air conditioning, all to have a meal at a cafe that is mediocre at best. 
And four hours after making the decision to go to Abilene, the crew arrives back at home, exhausted from the heat, dissatisfied with their meal, and Jerry speaks up and says somewhat sarcastically, well, that was a nice trip, huh? And bit by bit, it starts to become clear that no, it was not a nice trip, and in fact, no one wanted to take the trip in the first place. The mother-in-law says, yeah, well, I didn't really want to go, but everyone else seemed to, so... And Jerry and his wife agreed that they were just trying to be good hosts, and then finally, the father-in-law, who recommended it in the first place, says, yeah, I didn't want to go either, I just thought everyone was bored. Each individual had reservations about the decision, but resisted speaking up, because they feared that they held the unpopular opinion, and they did not want to go against what the group wanted. And so in the end, they made a decision and set out on a journey that no one wanted to take. Now, an uncomfortable afternoon eating terrible food in the Texas summer heat is not all that serious. But all manner of decisions can fall into this trap, this Abilene paradox. And I believe that it is important to share this with you all because there is a lot at stake in the decisions that you make as individuals, as a congregation, as an organization, as a city. In the coming years, you will have to make incredibly consequential decisions that will lead you down a particular path, and if you are not careful, you might find yourselves on the road to Abilene, taking a trip that no one wants to take because all feared speaking up or having the unpopular opinion. And I'm pretty sure that each and every one of you already know that the gospel is nearly always the unpopular opinion using precious resources to bind up the brokenhearted is a drain on our economy. Letting captives go free does not win you a war, and letting prisoners go free floods our streets with criminals and disrupts our free market economy that adores and in fact relies upon slave labor. The decision to proclaim the good news to the oppressed is rarely the popular opinion, but it is always the faithful one. And it is the one that you have been anointed from the beginning to proclaim. More than 13 years ago when this building stood mostly empty, one John Francis strolled by and realized that the south side gate down here was open. Seized by curiosity or maybe deviancy, he quickly went home, grabbed his guitar and a crowbar, and returned with the intention of breaking in to this breathtakingly beautiful and truly ominous edifice. I asked him for permission to share this. Once inside, he made his way to the sanctuary. He took out his guitar and he sang. He told me the other day that it was, I still haven't found what I'm looking for by you two. He told me a couple years ago that it was Amazing Grace. When I told him that, he said, to make up whatever song you want it to be. So I decided today that it's Bring Them All In. 
You played a concert. You played all of those things. Yes, for the Lord. He sang and he prayed and he claimed this space for God. For the brokenhearted, the imprisoned, and the oppressed, for the proclamation of the gospel. And in this moment, John Francis was anointed. This space was anointed. And all who have entered thereafter have been anointed with the Spirit of the Lord for the purpose of bringing good news to the oppressed. The decisions that we have made over the years have rarely, if ever, fallen into the Abilene trap. The journeys we have taken have surely been hard, sometimes unpleasant, but we have never chosen our path based on decisions that were least likely to rock the boat. In fact, most of our decisions over the years have been pretty unpopular. With nearby residents experiencing wealth, not liking the look of their new neighbors, with our city officials seeking quick fixes and being dissatisfied with our focus on the long game, or even our fellow Christians who believe that the only way to proclaim the gospel is by force-feeding helping after helping of shame and guilt. But these very vocal opponents have never and shall never deter us from our call. They have never and shall never revoke our anointing. They have never and shall never keep us from serving our purpose to proclaim the good news to the oppressed. The expression of this purpose has evolved and changed. It's grown in some areas. It's rescinded in others. But it has all been according to the movements of the spirit and the very nature of our anointing. Because, friends, Broad Street Ministry has been anointed by the Spirit for a purpose, to answer an ever-evolving call to proclaim good news to the oppressed, especially when that good news is unpopular and not easy to proclaim. And before I get into the call that I believe that you are currently situated to answer, I just want to pull out a few things from this text from Isaiah that are important. This text is, in fact, the lectionary text for this Sunday, the first Sunday in our Christmas season, and for good reason. Uh, I've said last Sunday, if you were here on Christmas Eve, that Christmas Eve always feels like such a strange season. Advent and Christmas, it's all bizarre because we spend four weeks in Advent lamenting and longing. And then on Christmas Eve, we celebrate and we are joyful, and sure enough, the next day, we awake to the same realities that plague us. We proclaim that the light has entered the world, but we also acknowledge every single year that we are still waiting. We are still waiting for all to be made new, for reconciliation to be complete. And so this text from Isaiah brings us a word of comfort and also a word of challenge in the midst of our complicated Christmas season. You see, Isaiah proclaims this word to Jerusalem during one of their greatest seasons of waiting. After they had returned from exile, you'll remember that the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem, destroyed the temple, took them off to Babylon as slaves. But then Cyrus the Great delivered Israel, delivered the 
Judeans brought them back to their city and decreed that the temple be rebuilt. And so this text comes at a time when the Judeans are back. They have begun rebuilding the temple, but it's not quite what they thought it was going to be. They believed in their heart of hearts that God had delivered them and that all would be well, but it wasn't. The temple was taking longer than expected. Many of the Judeans had returned, but not all of them. Some were still in exile. There was abundance in the land, which of course means that there was also rampant economic and social inequality, and the people were getting antsy. The hope that they had had for their nation, one set apart, a beacon, a blessing for all nations. Well, this had yet to be fully realized. And so in the midst of all this, Isaiah cries out to God for guidance, and God tells Isaiah that a redeemer is in fact coming, that God remains faithful to Jerusalem, and that the Spirit of the Lord is coming to anoint Isaiah. It is with this newfound hope and commission that Isaiah cries out the words from our text Today, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners. Now, John Francis told me today that in the Episcopal tradition, they don't make him learn Hebrew or Greek. And I told him, well, that's a shame you're missing out because my entire sermon relies upon knowing Hebrew. I'm not going to bore you with the details, but I am going to tell you that in the text that we read today, this is the NRSV translation, it says, the spirit of the Lord God is appointed me because the Lord has anointed me. There is a partial stop here, a semicolon, and then it says, the Lord has sent me to bring good news, sent me to bind the brokenhearted, sent me, sent me, sent me. But in the Hebrew, there is no partial stop here. The text should be read. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the oppressed. This may seem insignificant, but the partial stop here communicates that the anointing is an end in and of itself. Whereas without the stop, the anointing has a purpose. You see, Israel had a misguided, often misguided, incomplete understanding of their blessedness. They thought that they would be delivered from oppression because they are the blessed people of God, that their blessing, their anointing, was an end in and of itself, but this is not so. For God blessed Jerusalem so that Jerusalem could be a blessing for all nations. So that Jerusalem, this city on a hill, could be a beacon, a model for the rest of the world. Their anointing had a purpose, and that purpose was to end all oppression, inequality, and injustice. Their anointing is not a full stop, it's not even a partial stop, because what comes next flows from the anointing. They are anointed for the purpose of bringing good news to the oppressed. And having received this anointing and this purpose, the prophet Isaiah proclaimed that he will not rest. 
He will not keep the peace. He will not fall into that Abilene paradox because he has been anointed for a purpose. And he will not stop until this purpose is fulfilled. He will not rest until Jerusalem is no longer called forsaken, until God names her, my delight is in her. He will keep working until Jerusalem finally becomes the just, peaceful, good, and beautiful city that it was created to be, the city that the world needs it to be. And friends, this is the character, the quality, and the purpose of your anointing as well. To not rest, to not keep your peace, to cry out and march and work until this city, this world, this country becomes the just, peaceful, good, and beautiful creation that God created it to be. This has been the purpose of your anointing from the beginning. The particular expression of your purpose has evolved and changed over the years, and I hope that the next several is no different. I know that you have sustained so much change, and that often makes you feel anxious, uncertain, and even fearful for your future. But I pray that you will not allow this uncertainty to guide you on a road to Abilene. Change and evolution are the most natural expressions of your purpose. It is, in fact, the evidence of your anointing. Your purpose is and was and always will be to be a beacon, a model, an example of how the world should be. And so long as you stick to that purpose, the particularities, the expression must shift. It has to, because oppression and equality are always shifting and evolving. I had a very hard time putting together my final thoughts for you, where I believe the Spirit is leading you in 2018. And I think that that is in large part due to the fact that I won't be a part of I am not anxious, I am not fearful, I am not apprehensive, because I know and I believe that you are anointed, and that you will continue to proclaim good news to the oppressed. It just makes me sad that I won't get to do it with you, that I won't get to build and explore with you on this next leg of your journey. It makes me sad, but I know that it is time for our paths to go a different way. I will take everything that you have taught me. I will truly be equipped to continue the work of the kingdom elsewhere, but only, truly, only because of the work that we have done together. And I'm going to tell you that I firmly believe that there is nothing more on mission than this. Because the work that we do together in this place is meant to spread. It's not meant to be confined to these walls, because what happens within these walls is meant to be a beacon of light for the rest of the world. And so as you enter 2018, I want you to know and to believe that you have been anointed for the purpose of proclaiming the good news to the oppressed and that this work will continue and evolve like it always has according to the movements of the Spirit. Just like Israel, this place is in a state of reconstruction. 
This temple stood decaying for decades and empty and purposeless, purposeless for years. God claimed it, gave it new life and new purpose, and there is still much building to be done. There's no doubt about that. Physically, programmatically, institutionally, financially, there is more building to be done. And I encourage you to not let anxiety or impatience cloud your judgment and tempt you down the easy road, seeking quick fixes and fleeting relevance. Because a beacon, a model, an edifice of light takes time to build, so take your time. Build true and deep relationships with one another. Build programs that are sustainable. Build an organization, a congregation that is resilient and foolishly faithful. And do so not simply for your own edification, but for the sake of the city and the world. Evidence of the inbreaking of the beautiful, just kingdom of God cannot only exist when you are gathered here in this space. The experiences and goodness that you have here must be seeping into the world, providing evidence of the inbreaking of the kingdom everywhere you look. You will do this by investing in one another, by building up your educational programs, by welcoming all kinds of people into this space to learn and to experience community and restoration. You will do this by getting out into the world and disrupting all of those systems that keep our social services in business. As you do all of this, my beloved friends, I encourage you to be comforted in the knowledge of your anointing. I encourage you to stay true to your purpose of proclaiming good news to the oppressed. And I insist that you do not keep silent, that you do not rest until the brokenhearted are bound, the captives and the prisoners are welcomed home, and all are known as beloved and good and beautiful children of in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.